Sup, everybody. This is Carrick with ACG, and welcome to another ACG and D role-playing podcast. It has been a little bit of time, but I've been stuck doing reviews. I shouldn't say stuck, but I felt a little stuck because I couldn't talk to you guys. I wanted to get this out there, and so I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. If you get a chance, I would love for you to review this on iTunes. Have as many people as you can review it. Go have people listen to it and review it. Those things absolutely help. And of course, subscribe. I'm here, iTunes, Spotify, Tune in radio pretty much anywhere, probably some cave painting in New Zealand somewhere. I'll be there. ACG and D role playing podcast. What are we going to cover today? We've covered a lot of different stuff throughout these, what, eight or nine podcasts. It's actually been all over the place. We've created a character using idioms. We've gone through the skills for that. We've also just answered different questions about role-playing versus role-playing, about OSR and about the new types of role-playing that we see now, the differences between what you may see as a person who's just going out there to play a game versus somebody who might be on Twitch and all of the way these things work together. Today, we've got something a little different. But first, I'm going to quickly say a big thanks to you guys. It's just me and you. No sponsors whatsoever. And uh, hey, if you guys get a chance, I would love for you to come to the patron. I'm going to answer a couple questions and we'll jump into the topic and these will be fast. Dave asks, is the Jumpstart Kit for Cyberpunk Red a good starting point for someone who loves that lore but is inexperienced in tabletop? This will be the second or third week in a row we've had a question about Cyberpunk Red. And I would say that no, it is not a great starting place for someone who loves that lore but is inexperienced in tabletop RPGs. It's not horrible. Its rules are a little bit complicated though, or I wouldn't say necessarily complicated. I would just say they are in depth. It is not like a 1d6 or a tiny worlds, those kind of things, or even an old world of darkness classic. So be prepared for a little bit of reading and a little bit of understanding. And by the way, communities are going to be somewhat your friend, but a lot of them will have their own internal house rules. So a lot of them will be bantering back and forth and there can be arguments there, but you might find websites. And what I would say is this, if you have a question about whatever rules that you have in your D&D game, in your role-playing game, in your Warhammer game, werewolf, what have you, go to Google and type it exactly as you would ask it in real life. What do I mean by that? I mean, don't type in using keywords like you hear a lot of people. Don't go jumpstart kit plus cyberpunk red plus good rules, question mark. That shit won't work. Instead, type it in just as you ask because what happens is that will also then better search and scrape forums and Reddit where people have asked pretty much those exact same questions. I'm telling you right now, that is like a black belt move when it comes to figuring out anything that has to do with narrative and anything that has to do with softer questions on Google. Trust me, that is the way you want to search for almost anything when you jump into Google now is to go in and ask it like a question. Cole asks, how do you think CRPGs compare to tabletop role-playing games? For example, Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Planescape Torment, Pathfinder, uh, Kingmaker, Torment, Tides of Numeria. I think they do a pretty good job. I will say that when you look at some of them, they usually have to fit whatever rule system into their into their fictional system, and they have to usually decide like a Baldur's Gate to appear in Baldur's Gate, or Planescape Torment has to basically be in that you know Planescape kind of world, and that's what you pretty much want, just like the old Ravenloft one from years ago, or Dragonlance, or Forgotten Realms, they're all going to be in those specific realms. Now that can be fine, but I think for a lot of people, what happens is you get into these games, and it's very difficult for a game when it comes to a video game to explain to you as if you're brand new when you're not supposed to be brand new. What do I mean by that? Well, it's very difficult for you to be the chosen one if the chosen one doesn't know where the fucking local inn is. And this is a dichotomy. And 
really something that I would say is a divergent discussion that you see within developers. Like how much are we going to tell the player and pretend like they're brand new? How much are we going to introduce to them? And that's why a fish out of water actually works quite well, where you're like, this person's brand new. We're going to have them come from another land, right? Because then you can be like, oh, it's not called a sword here. It's called a heft of sharpening, whatever, you know? So those are the kind of things that happens with CRPGs is I think that they have a very difficult time getting a person up to grips with the fiction without appearing unfun as a game. Very difficult. On the reverse hand, a tabletop role-playing game has no real rule set that is locked in. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean there is always, always, every moment that you do anything going to be some kind of moment where you could have rolled something but have chosen not to. What do I mean by that? Every time you walk, do you do encumbrance? Every time you move around, do you roll for every step to figure out if your perception, you know, finds that hint of a barbecue that's nearby? All those kind of things pop up and there's just too many rules for any one person to handle. That's why a lot of people like tabletop games when it comes to board games and board games slash D&D light games. For example, as people have talked to you guys, I'm sure about Gloomhaven, my favorite is probably Brimstone, uh, which allows for you to play a tabletop game with a very specific set of rules that also allows for a little bit of role-playing so you can get into it and sort of learn. Where a tabletop RPG, it's very easy for everybody to sit around, perhaps for their first full game, and not even really do anything in the game and just explain the world and grab some source books. That is not possible for most uh, computer games. And then Philip says, have you ever successfully played a two-player game? All the time. So Cadiz and I, you guys have seen Cadiz. He did uh, the early podcast with me tons of times, and occasionally he comes on podcasts when he can. His time, unfortunately, is completely now a skew of mine. I think he wakes up at 3 a.m. I wake up at 3 a.m., but he's also working at a real job until 1 or 2, and uh, he isn't like me. He needs sleep. So we don't. We haven't had a chance to really figure out any like you know time to continually sit down and talk, but if we had, you would have heard us talking about this. We've done 1 and 2 and three very small groups of D&D together, it has been a blast. One and two is actually a great deal of fun for me because I consider being the DM, and I'm going to discuss this a little bit in the end of this podcast, I consider being the DM being everybody. Not only the people you're creating to throw against the player or to assist the player, but also the players themselves a little bit because you are molding them with the information you give them or the information you withhold from them. So to me, it's a little bit like playing almost a second person camera in a game or a second uh, person perspective in a novel, which is quite rare. It's almost never done because it's actually quite difficult to do. But in a way, it's sort of like adjusting the world and hoping that the ball that you've put in the world rolls down the hill that you expect by building a trench. That's sort of the way in which you're creating the story as a DM. You're you're giving them data and you're building walls around this trench and the information that you've given them, you're hoping they pick one or two of these avenues that will create an interesting story. But sometimes, you know, just like a river, it'll go over the banks and it'll go to somewhere even more interesting. And the next question is, what about a recommendation for that? And I would say recommendations for two-player games are any of the shorter, smaller rule sets, 1D6 rule sets. Um, Werewolf does work in these experiences. Uh, 1D100, 1D20, they all pretty much work. You just want something that doesn't have a ton of rules to bog you both down because... 
at some point that's going to feel a little bit like a storyteller and a listener kind of situation. You want to figure out exactly how you're going to handle that. Now there are alternative GM kind of situations where you have one person create a bit of the story, then the next person or the player gets to create a little bit and you go back and forth on each other. I find those to be enjoyable, but not necessarily what you're discussing. You're pretty much just discussing like one person doing an experience or a, a world by themselves. And I would say, honestly, my recommendation, and this is just no lie, make a character that would be with that person, make them a side character, make them a, you know, some kind of mentor or make them a character who maybe is just a helper who occasionally sword fights, maybe put them a level or two below. So you can't take all the brunt away from the main player. In fact, most of my games, I would say at some point, a companion character sort of ends up becoming a part of the group, even if it's one and two people playing. And the first topic we're going to discuss today is describing to people and how to continually give information while not stuttering and saying, uh, 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 a lot. Now that will happen and don't count your us. It's going to happen to everybody. It'll happen to me occasionally here, but what you will end up learning from today is a little bit on how to fill those gaps in and also maybe change it around a little bit. So while your brain is thinking of the next thing to say, or what you want to explain, you are also at the same time, giving yourself a moment for your brain to actually do that. And we're going to talk about this today because of a question. We got the Hindenburg burned for your sins. That's the username. I find you articulate at all times, something I'm not accustomed to. How is it that you're always ready for some comment or something to say in a game? How do you keep your mind prepped and poised? It's a good question, and I think that's a great topic for today. Let's first discuss wording and how to get away with not a lot of us. The first thing I would say is when you understand what an uh is used for, an uh is basically there so that your brain can end up finding the next tangent of whatever sentence you're going to say. So if you're describing the various different parts of a game world, you may say, you know, there's spires over here doing this and then, and, uh, there's the smell of, and, uh, now what that is, is that's normal. That's the brain's way of separating those senses. What you need to do is figure out a way to combine those senses. And I would say there are two ways that I do this pre pre prep and planning or not, sorry, pre prep and training. So pre prep would mean I would need to sort of know just the general lay of the land, where the people, where the characters are, or what type of world are they in? Or do we plan that most of the time in this particular game, they'll be in the forest land. Then I might listen to wood sounds. I might actually listen to just those melodic, relaxing CDs on tape and pick out what I hear. What do I hear? Well, I'm going to tell you what, usually what I like to do is go one or two layers deeper than most people do. So a lot of people, when you think of the forest, what are you going to hear somebody say? The wind blowing through the trees. Okay, great. Yeah, everybody hears that. But start thinking about this. What about the occasional drop of an apple from an apple tree if you're ever in an orchard? And anybody who has ever been in an orchard or anywhere where there is a fruit bearing tree, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You become so accustomed to it. And it can be that wind blowing. You can hear leaves scraping across grass because that's one of the things that's very unique. It's not just leaves blowing in the wind like you see in movies. In real life, many times what you actually hear is, especially in fall, you'll hear leaves hit. And when they hit, they'll make different sounds across pavement, across wood, underneath something or over grass or just over dirt. And you'll hear those different scrapes. Those are things to pay attention to, but also pay attention to things like what does wood, what does wind actually do? Well, one of the things wind does is it moves trees. Now, if you have trees that are healthy, you won't get a lot of groaning. What you'll get is a lot of the shiver sound that we see in perhaps a witcher or we hear in a witcher, which is the shh. You know, and you can hear those branches rubbing together that sort of 
it's not an old groan because that's the next thing I'm going to describe. It's more along the lines of just that rough edges scratching together like two pieces of the most coarse sandpaper you've ever seen rubbing together. And that's a description you can use because people need those comparisons. They need to understand that because maybe they aren't a person who lives in the forest. If they are a person who's lived in New York all their life, other than going to park in a couple other places, they might not know what we're even talking about, but they may know what it sounds like to have two coarse pieces of sandpaper rubbed together or what it sounds like when newspaper is crumpled up by a hand. And you could say that you could say that's what it sounds like, you know, like somebody crumpling up newspaper. And if you have newspaper there, you can do that. Those are things that I say props. I don't use them very much because I'm pretty okay with describing things. But if I wasn't, and if I felt that it was very important for some reason, I would absolutely feel no embarrassment by grabbing a, an old newspaper and crumpling it up so that the people can get that in, in their in their ears and sort of like an auditory worm. The next thing is what I was going to talk about in an older forest, you'll hear groans. Now, what that is, is a lot of trees, they can end up being basically alive and dead at the same time. Most of them uh, is very healthy, but then there's that rotten part or the branches are starting to sag. They're starting to get old and you can hear it. And I like to describe that as like the bones of the forest itself. The bones of the trees are weary and you can hear that, that groan as the trees move and maybe occasionally out somewhere where you can't see, you hear the splitting or the crack of a limb that is finally just given up the ghost, almost like an old person who's fallen and they need to hit their emergency button. You wouldn't say that, but you would describe it that way that far off, you can hear that fall and you can hear that whistling as that tree branch goes through the air and then hits the ground with that sound and they hit. So those are all things that you can pick up in the forest. And there's tons of other stuff. That's one thing I would do. I was I would pre-prep. I would also cheat as fuck. And I got to tell you, any good DM cheats like a son of a bitch. Anytime there's a movie where there's forest moments, anytime there's a book where there's forest moments that I'm reading, an audiobook, I am always just paying attention to those things and putting them in my head and remembering what they sound like and coming up. Comparisons will save your life. Comparisons will save your life. I am not joking. The things that you get a lot of people saying they don't like, like let's say in my reviews, will be like, I didn't like your comparison. But I got to tell you in a role-playing game, comparisons like the sandpaper thing, that will save your life. Because what a comparison does at its very basic is it lends a, an incredible amount of data between two people with not like for like knowledge. It's basically the compression of human speech. And the reason why I say it is this. If a person hasn't been out to the forest, but you've both heard what a newspaper sounds like when it's crumpled up, if you give them that comparison, then you both have met without you wasting time saying, here's what a tree looks like. Here's what it fucking sounds like when this happens. Here's blah, 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 blah. And your brain can then move on from there. Comparisons will save your life. Understanding, and this is something that fully artists do a lot of times when they're doing sound and different sound effects for movies and video games is they don't have the actual thing. So they got to figure out, they got to go like, what am I, what am I going to do? How do I make it sound like I'm chopping a head off? Guess what it is? Watermelon. Why? Because watermelon has a sort of a snicky, I call it snick, which is where something can be chopped through, but there's a catch to the blade when it does so. And that's watermelon. And then when you get into the center of watermelon, it's juicy, like a person's innards, not to be gross. And so when you end up hitting a watermelon, that actually works quite well if you want a cheap way of basically creating fully for a body attack. And really no lie, I'm telling you, cheat as much as you can. You want things like there are websites you can go to that say how to not use the word very. Now, I don't know if you guys know that, but a lot of people don't like to hear the word very, very often. Very is basically the um of description. 
Remember that very is the um of description. So instead of using the term very, use other terms that can replace very and allow for you to sort of move on from there. So instead of saying very, very happy, you would say glad or pleased or delighted or grateful. And all of those have their own shade to them. They have their own flavor to them. And this is what makes language so amazing. So for example, there's the term opposite. We all know what an opposite is. So let's say a bad guy and a good guy get together and the good guy says, you are the opposite of everything I love. Okay. That works, right? Opposite is a pretty normal word for a person to use. But what if the enemy came up to the good guy and said, you are the anathema of everything that I believe in. Anathema, basically at its very core, it's a book or it's an original term that was used in the Bible is pretty much that the opposite, the absolute anti. And it's more coarse form is really a hateful kind of feeling, a dislike, an absolute dislike. But that is the thing. If you're the opposite, that's one thing, right? You're just the opposite. It means you sort of believe the opposite. Okay, great. But if you're the anathema of something or anathema, depending on where you're from and how you pronounce it, if you are that, right, that has a resentful feel to it. It has this feeling of almost disgust. It has something in it that's dark. And that to me, that's the juice. And understanding those words are important. And that means going to websites and learning new words. It means reading. It means reading above your level. A lot of people in life, I'm just going to be honest, man, especially lately, I've noticed a lot of people, whether it be D&D or life, are always like, let's find the easy way out. Most of the time, what will happen with a DM, they won't want to. Most DMs do not want the easy way out. In fact, in a group, if you find somebody who's, I would say not necessarily hard-headed, but is a little bit more complex or is a grasping a little bit more at uh, different tenuous knowledges and stuff like that. That's usually your DM. It usually is. It's just not to be rude. That's usually the person who's the DM because that person is always looking for a little bit extra for the same thing. They're trying to find five other words for forest that aren't fucking forest, right? And you can use Grove, but what does that mean? Well, Grove has sort of a soft feel to it. So how do you change that? And that's what a DM sort of is, is they're trying to find all these things. And I'm telling you right now, word websites, word check websites, new word websites, they'll teach a word a day, word replacement websites. What do you use instead of the word short? Do you use like stunted or do you use like petite? All these words have their own sound and the next bit we're going to talk to before we move on to the second part when it comes to sort of the rhythm of discussion is your syllables. So the way you describe things really breaks down the easiest way into syllables. And for me, when I'm describing things in a role-playing game, I try to use the basic syllables for your action and for your brute force kind of moments and the sharpness of a character, if that's what I'm trying to describe. And then your number of syllables sort of goes up for your description words, for your descriptors, for wh whether it be your, you know, your adverbs or whatever, as you start to build from there and you're trying to describe stuff. So let's say I was describing a tower and let me just think. So if I was describing a tower and let's say this tower is like man, we're, we're, uh, it's like mankind's folly, right? We'll say this tower, uh, it's a bad tower. It's a tower that shows like mankind's just utter disdain for everything around them. That's sort of the way I've been feeling lately on some stuff. So say something like this. We would say like, uh, the, let me, I'm just thinking this up. Um, so I would say the tower pierces the sky like a great angry spear. No, I wouldn't say spear. I would replace spear. And I would say like a symbol of humanity's outrageous belief. It is better than the gods. And then I would say it's a soliloquy of their own wonder and an effigy of all that they would attain regardless of the cost. Yeah. So 
the reason why I use it that way is because I wanted you guys to understand outrageous, larger word. And then you've got a soliloquy and effigy, two Ys at the end to offer a little bit of a rhythm to what you're saying. And they a soliloquy so that everybody sort of understands what a soliloquy is, is basically a discussion that you have with oneself or sort of a disdain for others if they're around you and you're sort of talking to yourself. So a soliloquy, I think I said a soliloquy, a soliloquy of their own wonder. So a soliloquy of their own wonder gives you this idea of humans, a dispassionate group of people who may be passionate internally, but whatever they're doing in their world, it's just them, right? They think they're the greatest. And then when you say an effigy, effigies are always a cool word. Eff I love effigy, meaning sort of like a, a statue, that kind of thing, a, a focal point of a belief or a subject. And when you say that they would attain, uh, what uh, I can't remember, I think I said attain regardless of the work, uh, regardless of the cost. So attain regardless of the cost, that gives you this idea that regardless of the cost of nature around it, that's what you would get. So I'm gonna pause this, I'm gonna go back, listen to that, and then I'm gonna tell you guys what I said in one solid line, and then I'll give you guys a more brutal, I guess, explanation of the exact same thing. Okay, so what I said was the tower pierces the day like a great angry spear. I left spear in like a symbol of humanity's outrageous belief it was better than the gods, a soliloquy of their own wonder and an effigy of all that they would attain regardless of the cost. Boom, that's your more detailed one. That's your one that it's hard hitting, but it's a little bit soft in some of the words. It's a little bit complex and perhaps without you describing, by the way, this is something that's great about language. I didn't describe what it's made out of. But I can guarantee you that just by saying effigy, depending on who you're with, you actually could get them to guess what that's made out of. Because a lot of people don't think of effigies being made out of the typical, you know, maybe not uh, steel or something like that or aluminum, but an effigy, whatever it is made out of. Maybe it is made out of steel, but it's made to look like stone because that's that seems to last longer to humans, like, you know, lasts forever or something like that. Now, I don't like the term outrageous in this. I don't feel it sounds very good, but... That's the word I'm going to use. So this next one, I've, I've, I've sort of already got this one in my head. This is if the group was coming, let's say, over a hill, and they were seeing this massive valley before them, and this building, this skyscraper that is just piercing the skies. And this is more of a brutal way of describing it. And of course, you're going to hear some jid sounds, jagged, ragged, those kind of things. But I would say something like, it jags into the sky, tearing through the clouds, a sign of man's cultious self-righteousness. They themselves better than the gods. Their wonder not stabbing into it as much as trying to climb above the clouds' corpses in a show of might. That right there explains things in a far more guttural term. Stabbing, uh, I said tearing, self-righteousness. I like that because cultish, it's, it's definitely, that's a little bit, it gives you these idea of cultish people in robes. Like it's, that's even more earthbound than the other thing that I said. And that allows you to use those. Now, a lot of people might hear those and be like, Jesus Christ, I'm not going to be able to say that. That's fine because you won't need to right away. What I'm trying to describe to you is a moment in a game. That's a big moment. This isn't your normal moment. This is when this is a big crux moment that I'm describing to you. So nobody's going to explain, or sorry, no one's going to expect you to say these kind of things at all moments. That's maybe something you have in your head, right? Something almost like flavor text that you want to say. And of course there's flavor text in modules that you have in adventure guides. I'm just telling you, this is the way I would do it because I do freeform everything. And for the DM and for players, before we move on to sort of tone and pacing, even though that was some tone, I do want to close this out and say, your best bet is to understand syllables and how things sound. The syllables of Klingon is far different than the syllables of Elvish in Lord of the Rings. And there's a reason why, and they both present 
critical differences in the data that is being given and the same sentence could be said in two different languages and they would sound in some ways harsher or less so depending. You need to understand those at the very least because understanding a couple syllables here and there will help you and you don't have to know a ton. I can tell you right now, people, if you know, if you learn like one word a day, I mean, I'm a big believer in learning stuff, so it'd be way more than one word for me. But if you learn one word a day for something that you know will be in your game world, it can help dramatically so that you're not saying, here are the elves. They're very, very dexterous, right? And you're just like, hmm, that's not, you know, that's not going to work. So you would have, you, you have to find these, you know, then you've got light on their feet and, you know, you start moving around the words and start adjusting things and uh, lithe or lith, depending on where you're from, you might start using that term. There's other terms that you can use and you just start to get those. You could say, you know, something as easy as agile because agile changes something and it's built into the term, you know, agility that a lot of people know from D&D. It doesn't have to be the same, but you need to understand some of these. And I'm telling you right now, guys, if you ever need help, any dictionary, we used to play dueling dictionary at my old job when it was not busy, where somebody would say, today is the letter D and they would read you a description and you would have to figure out what this word was. And if you didn't know, they would then time you for a minute and they would say, here's the word. You'd be like, okay. And you know, you wouldn't pick up every single one of them. But over a continued time period, your brain gets accustomed to knowing that it's going to be introduced with a term and a new thing. And this is something that is, by the way, backed up by all science, backed up by research, everything. The brain takes a couple days to get prepared for that. And that's why students, when they first jump in many times, their brain is a disorganized mess. It's chaos because the brain has not figured out where every electrical impulse needs to go. And the brain is trying to get your shit done. The brain's trying to keep you the fuck alive. So what the brain does when you're trying to learn, especially at the starting, is it flashes out a big flash. That's why people hurt themselves when they're brand new in martial arts, because somebody comes at them and they're like, fuck, throw a spin kick. And you're like, spin kick. That's the worst time to do that. But the brain threw out energy, but over multiple times and multiple learning processes and multiple patterns, you will end up becoming far more agile at understanding how to pick up new words and your brain will be prepared for those. I'm telling you right now, you need to start making sure you bookmark those bookmark them and learn them talk about them, use them in language, understand where they come from and continue to add to your vocabulary. That's especially for DMs. For players, can this be useful? Absolutely. How many times have you talked to somebody and they're like, I'm a big, strong dude. Okay, great. What's big mean? Because guess what big could mean? Wide. Does wide mean gigantic? Does wide mean colossal? What about towering? Right? Towering to me means tall. It does not have to mean thick. Gigantic to me means both. It means a big, wide person. Colossal, same way. Giant, the same way. But guess what giant also brings to me? If somebody says giant, sometimes I think of longer upper torso, smaller legs, almost like the giants that uh, you may see in Skyrim. Everybody's going to be different in what they think. But if you continually use these, that variability in your language helps. Moving on from here, because I don't want to kill it. Let's talk about pacing. What's up, everybody? This is Carrick with ACGND, and my job is to make you absolutely confused. That's pacing. Or, what's up, everybody? This is Carrick with ACGND. You need to understand pacing and delivering data. One thing for a review is that I want to deliver data at a jokey speed at my speed because I do talk really fast. I'm slowing myself down about 10 times just to talk to you guys, as you can tell when I get really excited just how nuts I go and how fast I can talk. But you want to give data to your game players and you want to understand their speeds. So the first thing I would say is when you get people together and you're sort of understanding and some people listen better than they read, some people read better than they listen, and a lot of these things will be combinations, 
what you want to do is you want to understand your tone and pacing. And this goes directly hand in hand with your, your, your use of words, your syllables, uh, the soft words versus the hard words, the things you want to do that work for you as a DM that doesn't require a ton of work. Just understanding, let's say, short syllable words can be, in their use, can be a little bit easier to pass on a roughness can really help you because as you're thinking or writing a description down, it's a little bit easier. And pacing all over is just a big deal. It's something that you should always be aware of. Go at the best speed for the slowest audible listener and learner in your group. And also make sure to interact a little bit with characters. One of the things I always say when it comes to how and who you describe things to is, when somebody is taking an action, that's who you're describing the general bit to. If multiple people are seeing the same thing, then you're describing something general. So, for example, if a character walks or if a group of people walk down and they see a chest, that's it. You would describe it in a general way, describing the atmosphere, sound, smell, taste, all of those things, and possibly throwing in a little something for a character of a particular type. If you've got a dwarf and it's in the mines, you could do something like that and say the ancient stonework is of fairly poor grade, you know, blah, 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 whatever, you know, something completely general if you wanted to. However, if you're all at the chest and one person opens it, you are describing or should be describing for the moment something that is more hinged upon them, almost going from a third person camera view in a game to a first person camera view. Now, you're always going to be adjusting, and this is never perfect, but the reason why this is important is because the player doing the action wants an immediate return on the action. And this can be difficult because you might be describing something and somebody else might have confusion about it because what you're describing may be sort of only privy to them. This is something that in D&D can happen where you're given a bunch of data and somebody be like, dude, seriously, it's like I'm being tested, but I can't go back and read the words out of the book because you just said them out loud. That can happen in D&D. So what you want to do, or role play. What you want to do is make sure that you're clear and that you sort of get an, a general idea if anybody's got any questions. If you see that they, you know, there's a puzzled look on their face, then maybe you ask them. But let's say a person opens a chest and just like a video game, they're the ones who are going to be reading the innards first. You describe the situation to them, but you may also say something like this. Let's say you've just described the opening of a chest to the character who opened it. And then you say, Alyssa, who's maybe she's a, a rogue adventurer that's right behind him. You say, Alyssa, from around the corner, you see this bright flash of blue and gold and the face of this character light up on the left-hand side from reflected light from the massive amount of treasure inside or something like that. You get my drift, you know, it's super generic, but that kind of thing. And each person would get a little bit of that. You might then jump to another character and give them just a little bit, or you might add this all in without jumping at all and describe the character opening that chest and then say, Alyssa, while he's doing this, you see, right? And you merge them together. And that's about your pacing. You have to understand some people like it when everything's built together. Some people like it when they're separated a little bit. This is all, I don't want to get too advanced because I've already got advanced once or twice and had to go back and re-record this bit because it can get really advanced. But I think when it comes to understanding how to give out data, you really just have to parse it out and make sure that it's not too much because a lot of people can end up becoming almost analysis paralysis kind of situations where there's so much data in a D&D game, it's just words, right? And you can't go back and look in the chest again 
and get the exact same thing. You can because the DM will maybe have that written down, but it's not the same thing as a video game where you can go back and repeat the exact same action with 1000%, right? The exact same result because the description might be different depending on what they want uh, to do and see. And so being clear, being concise, understanding who you're talking to, those are all really important things. And when it comes to tone and pacing and cheating and using these words and understanding how to grow your vocabulary, they're all very useful because you may find that 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 larger vocabulary works really well to explain to one of your characters who's maybe a diplomat a little bit more about a situation than another one who's a fighter. And maybe you explain to them, you know, that they're looking at the exits all the time and they're seeing that this is uneven ground and it would be a poor fight. And you're going to see a lot of people pretending like they have the end all be all way of doing this kind of stuff. It's one of the weird things I notice with, especially with RPGs, everybody pretends to be nice, but they're really sort of not nice when you go into places and you see people arguing. So I'd be like, that is not the way you do things. And, you know, now it's called hacking because I think people want to be cool. But originally it was called house rules. I would say a house rule that you should just enact right away is that the way you explain things and the way people get things and the way they want things explained to them is going to be specific in some way just to you and just to your group. And there's nothing wrong with that. Understanding pacing is important. And pacing at the end of all this with all these words is just understanding how to mix different descriptions together so that at one point you're describing something for the person who's initiating an action. And the next point, you're either breaking away and describing exactly something to the next character or you're you're mending them in depending on how your group works and how they want the data. Some people play D&D a little bit like a board game in a way where it's like, this is character one. I'm going to explain what they see. This is character two. I'm going to explain what they see. Just really depends. Later in another episode, what I'm going to do is talk about how to use character skills and such to help you explain things. To give you an idea of what I mean by that, if you have a character who is, let's say, an incredible ranged fighter, He's a great gunsman. He knows his shit all about guns. Then when you're describing some kind of tower, you may not describe it exactly the same way as you would to somebody who is an architect. If somebody's character, let's say, is a family, let's say they were a family of builders across the star systems, and you're explaining this building to somebody, this crunched down, destroyed, hunkered down building that looks like an old person that's fallen. The shoulders are humped up where the towers used to be. They've melted down. You can see that the struts are exposed. Obviously, a weapon of massive power was used on this. That would be the architect. And you could say the beauty of this place is completely destroyed and devastated and blackened. But if you're talking to the military guy who's a range dude, you might say something like it would be difficult to climb up that tower to the right to get a good ranged find. But if you possibly did, you might be able to see over you know you're describing it from a different way you're describing it from a person who maybe takes action in a different way and you need to understand that as you continue to play and i'm going to finish this up with some questions so we have some questions that i got nick says what makes a good character it's a very good question easy as well what makes a good character is whatever the player enjoys playing if the player is enjoying themselves, the DM most likely is doing a good job. The DM also needs to make sure that the other players are as well. I would say that a character that is engaging in its activities throughout most of the game, there will be some times where a character won't necessarily have a bunch of shit going on, then you could possibly say that they're not always going to be active. But I would say for the most part, you want characters where they're always going to feel a part of the action. And I think what makes a good character is somebody that's interesting for that, for that player to play and that fits 
within the group without causing some kind of discordant feeling. And you do unfortunately see that at times. Players who try to be, you know, everybody else is good and they're like, I'm going to be lawful evil. Uh, uh, uh. And you know what? Again, house rule, my house rule is you're just not, unless you can describe it to me perfectly, how it's going to continue to move forward. Discordant characters like that are really, will allow it if somebody can explain it, but they're going to have to basically go through a tribunal to explain why it is that they're going to make a character that's possibly going to cause the entire team to take a great deal longer to do stuff. It's just not really what a lot of games are about, unless the game is about that, like Game of Thrones or something. Let's see. Jerky Jeep Jumper says, how do you make a world? So making a world is uh, easier or difficult, depending on how you want to do it. If you're saying, how do you make a world for a long-term RPG, then there are books out there. But I would say the major thing is like, how was it, was it created by magic, science, technology, uh, unavailable slash mystery, and then go from there. I think the easiest way for me to do it is, is that. And then say, like, how do the races or any races really perceive the creation of things because something may have been created completely by the science of today, like earth, but have magic on it. That's going to be treated differently than if it is a shard world where it looks like a, you know, one of those old Halloween tooth looking candies just floating through the sky and people are living on one edge of it, right? That's going to be a completely different thing than a ring world as well. And how those all built together. So I would say when building a world, it depends on what you mean. But if you are building a very detailed world, I would say there's, there's great websites, but the first is to understand just its creation and how it sort of became. And what you will find is if you understand its creation and understand exactly how things are at least slightly becoming changed and moved in this world, you can usually then create races or the ideas of races that sort of fit in there or species, if that's um, the, the language we're using now. Uh, but that's a that's a big question. Maybe we'll discuss all that and something else. Uh, he also asked, do you like lots of rules, some rules, or tons of rules? Lots of rules and tons of rules are the same. But I get what you mean. When it comes to games, that all depends on the players. It absolutely does. If I played a game with somebody who hasn't played in a while, it may be a, a baby amount of rules. If it's a, a, a very high stakes, very complex game, or characters are very advanced, then the complexity is going to shoot through the roof at times. And that's okay. It just all depends on what you want to play and how you want to play it and what works for you guys. I got to tell you, man, there's times where you look at a role, a, a rule of some kind, and it can be a big one. It can be initiative or a tax per turn. And you're like, that ain't working for me, man. It makes no sense. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense to other people, guys. I'm telling you right now, D&D, your life is too fucking short. Your life is too short. If you want to play a game and as long as everybody agrees and you say, listen, we're not rolling for initiative ever we're going to have a fucking game of rock, paper, scissors to figure. I do not give a shit. You do you when it comes to your game. And if your group likes that and finds it fun and finds it enjoyable, that's great. Even if you're totally against what I like. So for example, I hate when DMs try to kill players. If for whatever reason, your players just want a game where it's basically just them dying continually. Hey, you know, all the power to you. Next thing up is Debbie Gitta says cards versus dice. Which do you like better? Uh, I would say I do distinctly like cards better whenever there's a social interaction with cards. Cards work just, it's unbelievable how much better cards work than dice in social kind of interactions where you want to fool the game players or you want them to still be invested but not see the roles and still be able to draw cards except they won't see them but they get to do a physical action. Cards trump dice and so far... I've had multiple people, people even, you know, who are pretty professional DMs who've done like events, try to, you know, talk me down from that. And I've just been like, dude, everybody I've, everybody 
by the way. This is not something where I can say one or two or 90% or 99%. There has been zero people that I've ever played with in the last 15 years since we've started using cards uh, to replace uh, D10 or D20 systems who have not liked the cards better. Zero. Every single person is like the and like them so much that they don't use dice for your attribute statistic stuff at all. They may use it for damage. They may not. But cards, there's an inherent strength in cards that people just do not get. And I get that people like to roll dice and you can still do that in other ways. But I find that there are systems with cards like dice or, or sorry, like uh, card towers, various things you can do with cards that are as or more engaging than dice. Uh, next up, Sarah, Shoe, Sarah Sue Shell says, what's your least favorite thing about D&D? Uh, players, like I described earlier, players who make, um, you know, like the antagonistic character towards another, they can fuck off, man. I hate that stuff. I don't like it. I think you're being an asshole. I hate it. I hate that. Um, you have to describe why you're doing that. It's just not really enjoyable to see that kind of stuff. And I think that it makes for a really poor game for the most part. Whenever I hear somebody saying they had a great game of D&D, &D, and I'm always like, man, that's awesome. What'd you do? And they're like, we died 10 times, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's awesome, right? It is. It is. It's just that sometimes I wonder if that's all it is for them. And they don't understand that there's so much more available and that what they're doing is what I would consider the bare minimum that role-playing offers, if that makes sense. Um, the rules part, that's the bare minimum and that there's so much more and I would love uh, to see them engage it. They don't have to, but I just think it would be nice to talk to them and see if, if they've tried it. Uh, let's see. Uh, we got one more question here and then we'll wrap it up. Deconfuse says role-playing. I was wondering if I had some, if you had some tips for, or methods for running D&D just two-player. Okay, so you might have been the one who asked on uh, on Twitter as well. I think the two players, that's a that's a really good idea. I think your tips are just to understand, once again, that you're not, um, it's a, not a normal game and that making a companion character would help from the DM side. And if they don't want to do that, you just both understand that at times it's going to be, it's going to appear antagonistic, but it's not. That's one of the things I always, always, always warn people about is that two-player D&D can appear antagonistic because it's just the DM and just the player. There is no interpretation line. And I think that's your most important. But I think it's awesome. I think you should do it if you're thinking of doing it. I loved it. Cadiz and I had a great time. The, the great thing about two-player, by the way, is you can also do two-player where one person is, uh, if, if you do text, so you can actually do games that are face-to-face, -face, right? Or Discord, and then continue them in text because it's just two people. And I have done some awesome games with Cadiz. We did a Babylon 5 game. He was a private investigator working for Garibaldi in Babylon 5. And so that everybody knows Garibaldi's, or Babylon 5 is basically Deep Space Nine, but a different version. Okay, and different races, all that stuff. Garibaldi was a security chief on the on the ship, and he was a bit of a drunkard, um, bit of a gambler, that kind of stuff. And he would use private investigators. So that's what Josh was, or Cadiz. And man, we had back and forth. We used email, we used uh, chat text, we used everything. It just we had an amazing time because then you know if you're writing, you could think of stuff, you could delay. Like if somebody's like, "Hey, man, I want to look over here and I want to see blah blah blah. I want to see if this is blah blah blah." And you could answer that whenever, right? Because you weren't in front of each other. And so you could really come to grips with what you want to describe and what you want to do. And then you get together and it was awesome because you get together and you'd have like a five minute debrief where it'd be like, okay, so you said this and this, I, I did this and this, is that all clear? And you'd be like, yeah, but you, 
you know, you thought it was this. Actually, what I was trying to explain was this, you know, one or two corrections. You get online and then you sit down and now you're playing face to face your two person game. It is so good. It is so good. So I'm probably one of the few people that likes two player games. If you want to continue that discussion, Deacon, you can always ask me just in general discord. As for everybody else, I'm telling you right now, no sponsors, five bucks. You can jump in the discord. We can talk about D&D. I would love to do so. We have over a thousand people in the Discord. Everybody likes video games, D&D in there. I would love for you to join in. We're going to wrap this one up because it's gone longer than any of the others have. I apologize. But once we start getting into words and language, you just you can tell I absolutely love that, especially, like I said, replacing the word big with towering or gigantic. Those kind of things actually excite me. I'm a word nerd. I love it. Um, That'll be it for me. You can always use the hashtag ACGDND if you get to this point. If you don't, and you're not listening, that's fine. You just don't like me, and that's okay. I'll take it out on you in some other way. Anyway, that'll be it for me. You'll see normal stuff from me coming across the podcast. Uh, you'll see tomorrow's podcast, and then we have, uh, let's see, probably a weekend podcast where we're hanging out. You know, always subscribe, always review. Please, it absolutely helps. Tell other people about it. Peace out.